Happy New Year to all of you. It's great to see you all here this evening. Wasn't that great worship? That was just really, really amazing. Thank you, team, for uh, coming out and serving us that way. It was really, really great. As you've already heard, we're starting a new series on worship. And uh, I'm going to be kicking off this series. I'm going to be talking about uh, singing and dancing in worship. They chose me especially to start this off. Uh, If you don't know me, that's super funny. Because I've never done either of those. And I don't plan on doing them anytime soon. Uh, But we are starting a new series on worship. And I'm really excited about this series. It really feels as though this is the right way to start this new year. Uh, especially that today has started our week of prayer and fasting. I love it how, uh, I doubt it's around the world, but for sure in America, we have a week of prayer and fasting that's only five days long. I just think that's great. <laughs> We're trying our best to sound heroic. It's only five days. <laughs> but, but it's a week, work week, prayer and fasting. So we're going to be, uh, I'm kind of kicking off this uh, mini-series looking at the topic of worship, and we'll weave it into uh, what we're going to be doing this week in uh, in terms of prayer and fasting. I think it's going to be helpful for you. So let me begin by saying that uh, the issue, uh, far and above every other issue in your life, so think of all the problems in your life, don't think too long, get sad. But, uh, but, you know, think of all the problems in your life. Uh, for sure, the issue in our life is the issue of worship. That is far and away our biggest problem and our biggest answer. I hope to unpack that. But uh, the only way, if we, if we look at what Scripture teaches... The only way to improve our lives is to improve our worship. The only way to improve our lives is to improve our worship. Now, what typically happens in our society is we look at everything aside from worship in terms of fixing our life. And so worship has kind of been reduced to what happens for half an hour at the beginning of a church service. And uh, maybe when we read our Bible... But really, worship doesn't have very much practical impact. But I think that the Bible says something entirely different. That the primary reason why you or I would struggle in our life is because the worship of God has not been clarified and centered in who we are. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is speaking to a bunch of people who haven't heard about Jesus. And he stands up in the meeting of the Areopagus and says this, People of Athens, people of Vancouver, I see that in every way you are very religious. I think Vancouver is a tremendously religious city. And if you look around the city of Vancouver, you see objects of worship littered throughout this city. Incredibly spiritual, worshipful people. So I see that in every way you are very religious. Not just a little bit, but a lot. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. 
So you are ignorant of the very things you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So this is Paul's introductory of Christianity, and where he begins is by saying, you're incredibly worshipful, and I would like to clarify for you a better object of worship. What Paul does not begin with was their behavior. He says, I've walked around the city and I see how disgusting you are and how the horrible things that you do. He doesn't talk about how bad they are as people. Nor does he talk about their emotional or spiritual needs. And say, you know, you'll hear me talk a lot about security and significance. He actually doesn't start there. His first introduction is I would like to proclaim to you a better object of worship. So, what are our society's objects of worship? I'd like to give you four. Uh, Two of them are internal, two of them are external. But I think in our society, we have prioritized a few false objects of worship that I think are... uh, dramatically undermining our experience of God and what it means to walk in the abundant life that Jesus offers us. So the first two are internal. And the first two objects of worship that I see in our city and that I experience personally are our thoughts and our feelings. What we have managed to do in our city is exalt above pretty much anything else what I think, and what I feel. We have managed to make that far and above anything else. What I think and what I feel. And so if, uh, if God comes along and says to do something, you say, I'm not feeling it. Uh, I mean, I'd like to do it, but I don't feel it, and I don't want to be... Uh, disingenuine, and so I just have to stay true to my feelings, and certainly you understand that. And so what we've managed to do is to say that my feelings trump everything. My thoughts trump everything. I need to think it out and reason it out, and if it makes sense to me, then I'll do it. But if something doesn't make sense to me, uh, my understanding is the highest object of worship in my life. And so if I don't understand, I'm not going to do it. Better thoughts and feelings are not found in suppressing something. They're not even found in studying. But get this, they're found in submission. Um, so think of a feeling that you have, a, a feeling of uh, whether it's, it's lust or it's depression or it's anxiety, uh, confusion, anger. Uh, I think it's very uh, common to say, okay, I've got these negative feelings and uh, they're not good but I'm, I'm being ruled by them right now. And so I, I get that that's wrong. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to suppress those feelings. I'm just going to hold them down. And I'm going to hope for an, a new and better feeling to wash over me. 
Have you ever thought that way? You're overwhelmed by a feeling. And you just hope, you cross your fingers, and hope that a better feeling would come along. Or if you have some thoughts that you know aren't, uh, aren't very helpful, but they kind of feel automatic. They just feel like it's, it's the thought that comes up, that I'm, I'm stupid, God's far away, uh, life doesn't make sense, he's overlooked me. We have all these, these thoughts. So what we need to do is we need to find a group of better thoughts. And so we'll, uh, maybe we'll even read our Bible, which is a really good idea. Or we'll read some authors that are our favorites. And we'll try to think happier and better thoughts inside of us. So the idea is, is that if I have a, uh, if I, if I have a, a negative thought, I need to find a better thought. If I have a negative emotion, I need to find a better emotion. And this is so hard to understand, I think, because it's just so foreign to the way that we think. But what Scripture would say, we look at Ephesians chapter 2 in a moment, what Scripture would say is that the problem is not that you have poor thoughts or poor feelings. It's that those feelings and thoughts don't have a rightful place in your heart. You've exalted your thoughts and you've exalted your feelings over the worship of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, All of us also have gratified the cravings of our flesh and followed its desires and thoughts. So we have these fleshly desires and thoughts then Galatians 2, I'm splicing two things together. Galatians 2 says, but I have crucified, but I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The solution to fleshly desires and thoughts is not to find better thoughts and desires, but actually to crucify the idea that thoughts and desires should rule my life. So my problem is that I've chosen a faulty object of worship to define myself and my well-being. That I need to crucify the idea that my feelings are my Lord. I need to crucify the idea that my thoughts are my Lord. I need to find a better object of worship that I might not understand and that might not feel very good. And I, as I submit my thoughts and my feelings to God, I have a new Lord, someone who's overseeing me that is, is better than my thoughts and my feelings change. But do you follow the logic? Our thoughts and feelings don't change because we find new thoughts and feelings. Our thoughts and feelings change because we find a new object of worship, Jesus Christ. And as he is Lord of our life, our thoughts and our feelings come into alignment with him. I find myself chasing after good feelings chasing after faith chasing after positivity and hope and i've made all of these things feelings 
And I think a better alternative is to crucify my thoughts and feelings and to submit myself to the rule of God. That's the internal. The internal object of worship would be thoughts and feelings. And uh, I think it's pervasive. What, what concerns me about, about worship is that we would think that what happened on this stage just a few minutes ago was offering you a better feeling. That you came in sad, and what they did is they played, and it was really, you know, really, really great. And so they played in a way that changed your mood. And if, if that's what you think was going on here, you missed the point. The point was to provide for you a better object of worship, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you would submit to that better object of worship, your feelings and your thoughts would then be renewed. But the miracle is not a new feeling. The miracle is a new object of worship. That's number one. Number two is people in situations. The second group of objects of worship aren't internal. They're external. And there are, are people that define us. They're an object of worship. I'll refer to one in just a moment. Or there's situations. I, I've lost my job or I've got a new job. And that becomes an object of worship. And I am doing as well as my career is doing. And if my career is up or if my career is down, I'm not doing well. And so what we do in the week of prayer and fasting is we pray for a better career. Because if we could just get that better career, then we'd be feeling better about ourselves and we'd be happy and significant. That's misguided. Instead, we need to crucify our career and no longer be defined by it. And as we let go of our career being an object of worship, we find ourselves set free in whatever career we find ourselves in. Looking at people, uh, 2 Samuel, this one isn't on the, aren't going to be on the screen, but in 2 Samuel chapter 13, there was a, a man named Amnon, a, uh, the son of King David, and he had an object of worship, uh, his sister. Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon, now listen to the worship in this. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. Now that, my friends, is called an object of worship. Where you are so obsessed with the opposite sex, with a, with a man or a woman, you're so obsessed, you're sick inside. And so the story goes on, which we won't go into, because it's that uh, where he devises a plan to have sex with her. And then it goes on to say that as much as he loved, after he had sex with her, 
huge elaborate plan. He ends up getting murdered for it. But uh, as much as he loved her, it says, is as much as he now hated her. What's his problem? His problem is he's made women the object of worship of his life. And there's no woman, even the, even the one who he dreams night and day, he's sick over it. When he finally gets what he wants, he's totally distraught, full of hate, tells her to get out. It's because he picked a wrong object of worship. So we say, no, no, no. No, the problem is you have to find the right one. That's the problem. So what I'm going to do during the week of prayer and fasting is I'm going to pray for the right one. Not those wrong ones. I want a right one. I'm going to pray for the right woman, the right man, and then I, if I can just, God help me find that right one, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be walking in the will of God. That's called idolatry. You know, the real issue, the real issue is that we've exalted a person above God. And until that gets sorted out, hate to break it to you, you're never going to find the right one. You're never going to find a God that looks like us. The problem that Amnon had was his worship, not his selection of someone to sleep with. Now, follow me on this one, because this just, if you get this, this is going to be so cool, but just follow me. Now, uh, I don't know if any of you have done, they, they call it inner healing or prayer ministry or, or deliverance ministry. And uh, in secular, we call it counseling. And, and, and what, the, what the, the, the idea is, okay, so you've been hurt by somebody. Uh, the most common uh, people to be hurt by is your parents. So I'm going to be hurt for 10 of you. I'm so sorry. Um, but, uh, but, you know, the, the most common one is that you get hurt by your parents, right? Now, what's the way to get to overcome being hurt by somebody? Whether it's your parents or a friend or old boyfriend or girlfriend. I don't know who it is. What do you have to do? You have to forgive them, Right? And then if you can forgive them well enough, then you're going to be set free and they're not going to be, you know, holding whatever it is over you anymore and it's going to be a wonderful life. What if... Okay, follow me on this. <laughs> this feels so risky. Anyways, so what if... What if the reason why you're hurt by people is because you've made them an object of worship. So if, uh, again, you've heard me talk like this, but I'm, I'm phrasing it, I'm using it in a different way. If a stranger comes up to you and says, you're stupid, what are you going to think? Well, whatever, you don't know me. It means nothing to me. 
unless you're super insecure, and then we'll talk about that later. But, uh, but if, you know, typically, typically, you're not going to be, you know, it's not going to mean that much to you, right? But if somebody, if, there, if somebody whose opinion really matters to you, and now that that person says that you're stupid, now what are you going to do? You go, oh, sick, maybe I'm stupid. Maybe I'm unloved. Maybe I'm unworthy. Maybe I'm rejected. And so now what are you going to do? The problem is you gave to a human being the right to define you. No wonder we're hurt so much. Have you noticed in society, people are getting more and more hurt over smaller and smaller issues? Have you noticed this? They have, somebody sent me this, I think I might have talked about it before, this idea of microaggressions. That you're not allowed in universities. Now, this is in the States. This would never happen in Canada. But in the States, you're not allowed to bring up the Holocaust because there might be somebody in the class. A prof can't bring up the Holocaust because somebody in the class might have a relative who was in the Holocaust and they're emotionally disturbed by you bringing it up. You're not allowed to bring that up anymore. I'm super curious what's left, you know, after we weed out how everybody's going to get hurt. What's going on there? Is it, is the problem is we're not sensitive enough to, to each other? We need to be more kind and understanding. Is this the problem? Absolutely not. It's, it's, a, it's an, a, a direct correlation to the lack of worship of God that has led to our hypersensitivity and to being hurt. And the first way to overcome personal hurt is not to work it out with whoever has hurt you, is to say, Father, only you have the right to define me in my emotional well-being. Only you have that right. Now, I can receive the input of other people. That's great. But they're, they're not my object of worship. They're just a channel that, might, that God might use to speak to me. But they're not a replacement for God. So what if our emotional trauma and feelings of hurt, what if the way that they're solved is not through forgiveness, but is through worship? Rightly worshiping God is our Lord. What would happen to us if this was clarified in our hearts? Now, I think that there's a time that once, when that's clarified, that you then go and talk to people and work that out. I'm not saying not ever to do that, but let's put it in its right order. What a freedom from hurt was actually found in right worship. And then reconciliation with that person followed. So what if um, negative thoughts, negative feelings, negative circumstances, painful relationships, what if all of these things were signs of false objects of worship? In that when 
when, our, when we're full of anxiety, I can get full of anxiety. When I'm full of anxiety, what do I do? Do I slow down my world, make sure all my kids are being nice? Or do I say, my anxiety is a window, it's a dashboard that's revealing to me a false God that is ruling my heart and my mind. And that only as I forsake that false God will I be able to have freedom from my anxious thoughts. Isn't this encouraging? Do you know how hard it is to change your feelings? You ever tried doing that? Super hard, complicated. I've never figured it out yet. But instead of changing my feelings, I change my worship. Instead of working on my relationship with my parents, one of them's dead, that's hard. The other one has, is senile. That's even harder. I can't do that anymore. I can't, you know, I forgive you. Great. No, I idolized you. And I let you define me in a way that parents shouldn't. It's reserved for God. I love my parents. Super influential. But at some point, I needed to find a better Lord and a better Savior. And in that moment, I was freed from that. Grateful for them, not defined by them. So, you following me so far? Worship is the issue in your life and my life. And when, and when we're struggling, and I struggle every day, when I'm struggling, it's first a worship issue and then something else. Oh, that's such good news. So if worship is the issue, what... Uh, what is worship? Deuteronomy chapter 6, I think, gives as good a description as anything, as, as any other place in Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 to 9 says, I'm, I've summarized it. It's going to magically show up on the screen. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Can you, can you, there we go. I feel better. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Write them on the door frames of your houses. Wow. What's this talking about? What's this worship that's going to set us free from all these false gods who rule our hearts and minds in cruel ways? How are we going to be set free? It's with a new and better love, with a new affection and a new desire. Sometimes I think that our worship of Jesus is unsatisfying and doesn't seem to have the strength of deliverance that we would hope for simply because we've made worship a, either an emotional experience or a cognitive experience where I'm acknowledging that you're good there. I've worshipped you. Or, see, I'm crying now. I must be worshipping you. I don't cry often. So I must be worshipping you. These tears wouldn't lie. I think that what this passage in Deuteronomy is describing 
is a heart desire that transcends any thought or feeling and that says, I'm yours. I'm just yours. You have my heart, and I am now defined by you. I think of my relationship with uh, Debbie, and uh, um, I don't know how to say it, but it's more than a feeling, and it's more than a thought. I mean, what's left, right? I don't, I don't know how to say it. But it's not, I'm, it's not I'm feeling in love with you today, so today's going to be a good day. It's even if we're having a disagreement, I am, I am thoroughly committed to you, and we're just going to figure this out together. There's a way to have a relationship that's, here's one of the best words in the Bible, covenant. It's just a covenant with God that says, my heart is firstly and uh, it's submitted to you. You're the one who defines me. You're the one who, who has the right to control me. It's you. I have given my heart, I have chosen, out of all potential lovers, out of all potential objects of worship, you are my God. I'm yours. Without desire, without a hope and trust in Jesus, Christianity is exhausting and it's false advertising. My greatest concern for the church is that we would connect our daily lives with our worship of God. And we would see that our worship of God does more than anything else to inform how we live our lives. And it's not because we read rules. It's not because we have a better emotional commitment. It's that uh, emotional experience. It's that our hearts are stolen by Christ. And the presence of his spirit is all that consumes us. And as Jesus Christ has that rightful place in our heart, then everything else seems to find its rightful place. Whether it's our spouse or our friends or our job or our emotions or our thoughts, everything else gets rightly ordered when Jesus has his rightful place in our life. And then Christianity isn't exhausting because I'm not thinking about the next rule to be obeyed, the next feeling to be experienced. I'm not thinking about what's the best way to present myself right now so that you'll like me. My life has been simplified because I've been with him. I know him and I'm changed by him. And so the way that I engage with you isn't self-conscious. I'm not thinking it all through about what's, what's appropriate right now and, and how I should word this. Because something has happened before this moment. 
I've been known by him. I'm with him. I have an intimate relationship with him. And so out of that center, I then live out of that. Life becomes simple when my object of worship has been clarified. This brings us to this week. That the purpose of prayer and fasting is to deepen our desire of Jesus. This idea that's on the, on the, the front of, uh, the, front of the, the booklet that we've given you of knowing God. And you, you heard Pastor Jim talk about um, the, the power of Scripture, the power of the Spirit. Please don't misunderstand his words. There's nothing magical about doing this. The idea of knowing has always been an intimate encounter with God. I, I can't imagine ever doing this ever again in, in human history. But a hundred years ago, if you wanted to, to become a Christian, you would come to a revival meeting, all right? And then uh, you would sit there, and then there'd be some preacher doing his thing. And, uh, and then you would be invited to come forward and respond. And there was a bench that that would be just behind you and you would come forward i just can't believe anybody would do this um and they would go no not feeling it sit down and then you wait until you get the conviction of the holy spirit and then you can come up to receive christ <laughs> imagine the arrogance first of all of the guy to decide that but no, no, you're not. No, sit down. Just wait a minute. You're not, you're not getting that conviction yet. Okay. Let's say that what you're struggling with is lust. What I can do is I can say, it's all about worship. And then you come forward, and, uh, I, and I'm not ever going to question anything because that's just going to make me look bad and you look bad. So I'm just going to say, great, Jesus is your Lord. It's all good and uh, excellent. And then you come back a week later and you say, you know, Pastor Greg, I'm, I'm still struggling. And I go, well, it's okay. We ticked off the worship box. So we now need to move to something else. So I've got some techniques that I think are going to help. It begins with a cold shower. And then we kind of go on from there. But we don't worry. We nailed the worship part. Because you came forward. I saw that you came forward. And you were looking emotional. So I'm sure it's true. And so now that we've got that nailed. Now we're going to go to these other things to help you. What if instead. You and I had the courage to say. My worship in this area of my life. Has not yet been clarified. What if we said that instead? Now, my experience of that 
is that worship to be clarified in, my, in, in that part of my life? It took a few years. It didn't happen quickly. Others area of my life, that worship just settled in my heart and I was free instantaneously. In other areas, that clarifying of worship took a minute or a year or two. But instead of going, ah, the worship, I've nailed that. How dare you think that Jesus isn't my Lord? Now just give me some techniques. I'm sure that that's all that's lacking. That's just mean. It's better to pause and say, you know what? I'm still working out what worship looks like in this area of my life, in my thoughts, in my feelings, in my desires. I'm still working that out. And as a community, we get to be a loving and caring community, and we get to walk with people for months or years as we work this out together. And it's okay. It's okay to be in a community where we're trying to figure this out together. But let's not distract ourselves with a whole bunch of other things that we think is going on. It is worship. Worship is what's always going on. And we need to have the courage to stay there, to linger there. And not to assume that box has been checked and to move on to other things. So in summary, I think the Christian life is about looking up and laying down. The Christian life is about looking up and laying down. Well, I've got an area of struggle. I need to look up. This week of prayer and fasting, I'm devoting a full work week to look up and to see you and to know you and to meditate on scripture and to pray, to create space to receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm creating space for that. I'm looking up. And as I look up, I lay down my false objects of worship. I don't run after my feelings. I don't run after my thoughts. I'm not believing that a certain person has the right to define me, including a church elder or anything like that, too. That I'm not believing that. They don't, nobody defines me. Jesus does. I'm grateful for people, but they don't define me. This event, this event doesn't define me. Jesus defines me. And so I look up and I lay down. I lay down these false objects of worship. And then as I do, Jesus comes into those places and fills me and satisfies. Maybe never having those desires met, but it's fine because I've met Jesus. Worship team. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to practice this right now. What we're going to do is we're going to worship. So we're going to look up. And as we look up, I would like you to pray and to say, Father, you have my heart. You'll never have it completely because I'm just, I'm confused and it's not easy. But to, to, the, to the amount that I'm able to give you, I give you my heart. And then as we worship, we're going to be taking communion in a moment, and we're going to ask you to lay some things down, to lay down some feelings, some thoughts, some people, some events that are not worthy to define you. But we need to begin with worship. So could we please stand? I'd like to pray for us, and then we'll...
turn things over. Father, I thank you that worship is super practical. I thank you that worshiping you is our salvation. It is our salvation. It's not just how we get to salvation. Worshiping you is what we really, really need. And in this moment of singing, Father, I pray that you would give us the grace to look up, to move beyond our earthly circumstances of what we think or feel, where we're at personally, that this would be a moment that we would look up and say, you have my heart.